verse 10. I'm going to read that passage, and I'd like to ask Tim Failer if he pray for the ministry of the Word this morning. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a certain servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with, with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a cocked, cock crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now when morning had come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him up to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury, since it is the price of blood. And they counseled together, and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Let us pray. Amen. This passage that I selected for this morning deals with uh, two men who are highlighted in the, the narrative in Matthew with regard to Jesus' passion, two of his disciples, two that we might consider to be at the opposite end of the spectrum, Peter and Judas. What Matthew gives us here 
is, I believe, a, a commentary on a passage that he quotes earlier in chapter 26 from Zechariah chapter 13. We read in verse 31 of, Ze of Matthew 26, Jesus saying to his disciples, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Matthew is following along a number of different events going on this horrible night of Jesus' betrayal. And he follows along with the path of Peter and of Judas as they, along with the other disciples, are scattered. Verse 56 of chapter 26. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. It actually began a little bit earlier that night, although it's not recorded by Matthew, but sometime during the evening, Judas left the assembly of the disciples. And we were studying in Sunday school the doctrine and the institution of the Lord's Supper. And we see from the Gospel of Luke that Judas was with the disciples when Jesus first broke the bread and gave out the cup of his body and his blood. Sometime after that, however, we're told that Satan filled Judas and he went out in the dark night and betrayed Jesus to the high priests. So the beginning of the fleeing, the beginning of the scattering occurs first with Judas leaving and then when Jesus is arrested, the rest flee, they run away. But now we catch up with two of them. And Matthew follows what we might consider to be divergent paths. The path of Peter and the path of Judas. But in fact, they were quite parallel for most of their journey this night. Peter, we read in verse 75, and he went out and wept bitterly. But what do we read of Judas in verse 5 of chapter 27? And he went out and hanged himself. When I was in engineering, I had the opportunity of attending one of those uh, executive, those seminars, those week-long things, and one of the things we did was we had to take a Myers-Briggs personality exam. Now, now I'm an engineer at that time, and uh, you'd think you know, I would score among the engineers with my four letters, but actually mine came back completely different. And uh, I was told that I was most likely to be either a psychologist or a member of the clergy. Never forgotten that. It was ISTJ. I think that was right. Well, I'm a member of the clergy, I guess, but I love to think about what makes people tick. And when I read this passage, I'm in the midst of the passion of Jesus Christ, and that's the overwhelming focus. Our Lord going to his death on our behalf. But in the midst of that, Matthew brings us up to date on two of the disciples. Again, two that in our minds are as opposite to each other as possible. We have this, this vision in our mind of Judas, as I've mentioned before, as this skulking, dark creature of the shadows, maybe with little horns just beginning to protrude. And Peter, of course, born with foot and mouth disease, you know, bold Peter, always at the forefront, always the one to answer the questions, always the one that with bravado, he's the one on the lake that says, Lord, if it is you, bid me walk out to you on the water. That's Peter. 
How, how, how more different can two men be? But Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, keeps these two men in front of us. And, and, and to me, you know, it makes me ask the question, what, what's, what's up with this? What made these two men tick? A few weeks ago, we looked at the two men when we were looking particularly at Judas. And I asked the question, what is the difference between betrayal and denial? Is there really a difference between betraying the Lord and denying him? Of betrayal, Jesus says, Woe unto him who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better that he had not even been born. Well, that, that's, that's pretty bad. But what does the Lord say of denial? He says, He who will deny me in front of men, I will deny before the Father in heaven. Well, that ain't much better. Is it? Judas betrayed the Lord. Peter denied the Lord. These men weren't so different, were they? The night of Jesus' betrayal, these men fell. They both fell hard. But one fell a little farther than the other. And that's what makes me ask the question, why? Why did one get up again? And the other never rise again. We tend to see Peter in one light because we know the rest of the story. We know that in John 21, the, the interview with the risen Lord, where Jesus asked Peter, Simon, do you love me? And Peter, as best he can, responds, you know me. You know that I love you. And a lot has been said about the phileo and the agape that are used in that passage, but fundamentally what we have there is the reconciliation of Peter, the restoration of Peter, and Peter saying to Jesus, Lord, you, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then in Acts, we see Peter. We see Peter in action. We see Peter as the, as the leader. Now, we Protestants don't like to talk about Peter as the head apostle, but come on, when you read the book of Acts, he wasn't the Pope, but he was definitely the first among equals. He was definitely the spokesman. He was the one who stood up at Pentecost and gave that sermon. And he is the one who, along with John, is standing before the Sanhedrin. And the priests and the scribes that are gathered there beheld the confidence with which Peter spoke. And then they understood that he had been with Jesus. So we see the rest of the story, and we, and we want to read it back into the night of Gethsemane. We have the, the light of later revelation in Peter's life, but, but what about the darkness of that night? Both men fell catastrophically. And even the terminology, and Peter went away, and Judas went away. It's like Matthew is saying, look at these two men and discern what makes them to differ. One went away and wept bitterly. The other went away and hanged himself. Now when we ask that question from a Reformed theological perspective, we ask what made them to differ, we have the, the right answer, and that is the grace of God. And we looked at that several weeks ago. It was Peter of whom Jesus said, I have prayed for you. And when you have turned, not if, but when, 
Strengthen your brothers. I have prayed for you. And so that's the, the ultimate cause or the ultimate facet of the difference between these two men. But again, I guess that ISTJ in me wants to know what was ticking inside of them. What does a man not have when he takes his own life? Hope. And this passage to me illustrates one of the key aspects biblically of true faith, of true regeneration, hope. Even in bitter despair, Peter had hope. Judas had none. And in the truest sense of the word, he was hopeless. And so, just in that one word, hope, we can see why one went out and wept bitterly and yet got up again, and the other went out and hanged himself. Let's look at Judas. Again, we have a picture in our mind of Judas, and I think it's completely wrong. But let's call him Judas the Miserable. And in a few moments, we'll talk about Peter the Miserable because we have two incredibly miserable men this particular night in Gethsemane, Peter and Judas. And we think of Judas, I mentioned when we first talked about Judas, that it, is, it has got to be one of the least popular names among any boy name given in any family over the past hundred years. There's been like three Judases. You just don't name your son Judas. And so we have this picture that history and even art have preserved for us this tradition as a dark and distant, conniving, wicked man. Even in your own mind, if you're thinking of the Last Supper, or just looking at the painting, where's Judas? He's as far away from Jesus as you can get and still be on the canvas. And I can't imagine, I imagine that, uh, who was it who painted the Last Supper? Da Vinci? Was it Da Vinci that did the Last Supper? You know, they used to use the faces of acquaintances because they didn't know what, you know, Jesus looked like, or Peter. So they would use, and, and you could sometimes find one of the de' Medici's, you know, he's in this painting or that painting. Whoever Leonardo disliked the most at that time, I have no doubt, is now immortalized <laughs> in the Last Supper as Judas. Okay? Probably the tax collector who just came. That's the vision that we have, or the picture, or the portrait, but let Scripture repaint it for us, okay? Because the Scripture tells us in the Psalms, the prophecy, that the man who betrayed Jesus was a close confidant of the Lord. I don't think Judas was like that, because when Jesus said to the disciples, one of you will betray me, they didn't all go, <laughs> Judas... No, is, is it me? They're all looking at themselves. Even Judas asked the Lord, Rabbi, is it me? Somebody recently wrote a biography of Aaron Burr, trying to reclaim Aaron Burr's reputation. That's not possible. I didn't buy the book. One of the few biographies I haven't bought. You, you can't reclaim the reputation of some people. And Judas Iscariot is called in Scripture the son of perdition. And so I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not going to write a biography of Judas Iscariot and try to get everybody to name their sons Judas. That's not going to happen. But let's look at what's going on inside of Judas because I think we'll see 
the intensity of his hopelessness. We're even told in the passage that I just read that he felt remorse. And he said to the chief priests and the scribes, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. This is a man who knew the law. Many scholars have tried to theorize what it was Judas was trying to accomplish in betraying Jesus, but it seems fairly evident here that it was not his intention that Jesus would be condemned to death. That when he found out that he was condemned to die, he, some of your Bible said, he repented of what he had done. Now the word there is not quite the same as the one that we normally see translated as repented. And that's why I think the New American Standard says he, he felt remorse. But the bottom line is, he was sorry for what he had done. And I wonder if things came to his mind from his knowledge of the law that condemned his mind and his soul beyond hope of reclamation. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 14, where we have the law of the witness. If the witness is a false witness and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he had intended to do to his brother. There's a lot of argument about tort law and how we can cut down on the cases that are in the courts in our country. Frivolous cases of people just trying to fleece one another. Bring back this one and you'll cut down on it in a hurry. Because if you're found to be a false accuser, then the judge would then extract from you the penalty of the crime that you charged against your innocent neighbor. Well, it seems to me that Judas was his own judge and his own executioner. It seems to me also that there was something prophetic and something deeply biblical in a Levitical sense in the way in which Judas died. But then in Deuteronomy chapter 27, we read, Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person. Cursed is he who accepts a bride to strike down an innocent person. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But Deuteronomy 27, 25 ends this way. And all the people shall say, Amen. And Judas went away and hanged himself. This miserable soul was one that knew the commandments of God. J.C. Ryle writes, Let us never forget that no sinners are so sinful as sinners against light and knowledge. Judas was not a wicked, conniving man. He was a Jew. He was probably a zealot. He probably looked for the Messiah to reestablish the throne of David and to overthrow the Roman legions and to reestablish Israel as a powerful nation in the Middle East, as many did in the days that Jesus lived. What Judas Iscariot was not was he was not a believer. He was not regenerate. He did not have the faith, and therefore he did not have the hope of those who understood that Jesus was indeed the Messiah of Israel, 
the Son of the living God. Judas reminds me of another famous sinner, Esau. And we read of Esau, that he found no place for repentance, even though he sought it with tears. Judas is a hard nut to crack, a hard mind to get into, but there's a passage in 1 John chapter 5 that theologians and commentators and preachers have struggled with for 2,000 years, where John talks about the sin leading unto death. I'm sure you've all read it. Tells, you, tells us to pray for our brothers, but not, not, not for the one who commits the sin leading unto death. It's like, okay, uh, John, could you give me a little more on that? And, and so we wonder, what is the sin leading unto death? Well, surely, circumstantially, this was a sin that led unto death. He went away and hanged himself. But inside of Judas's mind, he committed a sin. He committed a crime against God's law and he could see no hope of reclamation. He betrayed innocent blood. And it was as if he said in his own life, Amen, cursed is a man who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person. And he went away and he hanged himself. Now let's consider now Peter the miserable. And immediately a cock crowed and Peter remembered what the Lord had said to him, and he went out and wept bitterly. But significantly, he did not go out and hang himself. He fell because of pride. He fell because of self-confidence. He did not fall because of unbelief. He overestimated his own strength. Remember what he said? Lord, even if all these deny you, I will not deny. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Hear what Peter says is recorded for us in the Gospels. It's Peter who says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus' teaching offends the masses and they depart from him, and Jesus turns to his disciples and says, will you not also go? It's Peter who says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And as I said earlier, there was a whole boat full of disciples when Jesus came walking across the water, but it was Peter who said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come out to you on the water. And we, you know, sermons, countless sermons, have chastised Peter for his lack of faith and that he began to sink but come on, folks, he's the only one that got out of the boat. What about the other 11? And would we have gotten out of the boat? You know, Peter believed that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel. Yes, he was full of bravado. He had a lesson to learn about himself, and that lesson would be painful and humiliating. He believed himself to be such a strong man in the faith. And this is the lesson. Take care how you stand, lest ye fall, Paul says. I will never betray you. And in his own mind and heart, he believed that. How could he, be he betray the Lord he loved? So that in John 21, when we read that, Peter, Simon, do you love me? Peter is saying, yes. Jesus, why do you keep asking me? You know me. You know I love you. And that love that Peter had sustained him 
even in the midst of this horrible night, when he just fulfilled the prophecy that his master gave him, that before the cock crowed, he would deny Jesus three times. He wept bitterly, but not a bitterness of despair. He wept a bitterness of repentance. The moment we think we can never do what Peter did is the moment we challenge God to bring about in us the very fall we see in Peter. The moment we think, and I have heard people say this, that I would never deny the Lord, that I would never give up my Bible if the authorities came to take it away. I would, I would never avoid prison or even death. If we were to say anything like that, we put ourselves right in the crosshairs of the discipline of our Father because pride cometh before the fall. And self-confidence is the opposite of faith. Self-confidence says, upon this rock I will stand. Faith says, you are my rock and my fortress. You are my shelter. There's a difference between these two men in their minds because there was a difference between these two men in their hearts. Peter fell as hard as Judas did. He just didn't fall as far because godly sorrow, Paul tells us, leads to repentance. And Peter shows us that we can all fall. But one type will get up again. Judas had remorse. Peter had sorrow. One led to death, the other to restoration and repentance. The Reformed theologians want to focus on the Lord here and again point out that the difference between these two men was the intercession of Jesus Christ. And with that, I fully agree. What happened, to Jesus, what happened to Peter and what happens to believers when they fall is due entirely to the grace of God. But I want to talk about what it was inside of Peter, put there by the Lord, but what it was inside of Peter that everyone who knows the Lord has, and that is hope. And now abideth faith, love, and hope. Hope is not talked about much. We talk about it in the future. We hope for the resurrection. We hope for the Lord's coming. But this is a hope. The hope that we have, a living hope, is one that gets us through every day, especially our days when we fall flat on our face. Maybe we don't deny the Lord, but maybe we don't defend him either. Maybe the conversation around us is blasphemous and instead of, of risking the, the wrath of our family or friends or their, or their uh, disgust, we just don't say anything. Which in a sense, we are denying our relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we often go away and feel guilty and we feel miserable. I don't know if we go away and weep bitterly. Maybe we should. But at no point should a child of God go away hopeless. Because this is the consequence, this is the fruit of true faith, of true regeneration. 
Paul calls the Gentiles outside of Christ in Ephesians chapter 2. He says that they had no hope and were without God in the world. Those two thoughts we should always keep in our mind because they go together. Without God, without hope. With God, true hope. We see a lot of people placing their hope in things that will not stand. They are nothing more than reeds that will break when they're leaned upon. But what Scripture tells us is those who are in God, those who have been redeemed by the Son of God and His blood, have a hope that passes through the veil, a hope that is abiding and sure, one that we will experience. Paul writes to those in Thessalonica regarding the death of some of their members. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, as are the rest who have no hope. And that's a thought we should take with us whenever we attend a funeral. Looking around the room, wondering how many in that room are as the rest who have no hope. I believe this is what kept Peter from utter despair. I've heard sermons that said that Peter fell and stayed down until the Lord came and picked him up. But in reality, Peter got back up and he was back with the disciples when the Lord came to them after his resurrection, Peter was there. Peter got back up because not only did he love the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And he knew that in him is forgiveness of sins. The foundation of a believer's hope is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it is a foundation that cannot be shaken even by the believer's own sin. Because we have a hope. And we can say with the psalmist, the steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Let us pray. Father, we cannot thank you enough for the hope that you have given us in Jesus Christ. And we earnestly pray, Father, that we would not follow Peter in the steps of folly, though we know we do. We rely upon our own strength, we lean upon our own understanding, and we think to ourselves that we can handle this, that we need not turn it over to you, that we need not use our religion as a crutch, as so many claim. But Father, our faith is the foundation of our hope. And your strength is our sure rock and not our own. And so we thank you, Father, for giving us Peter's fall as well as that of Judas. And we thank you that he did weep bitterly. And yet we see that he never lost hope. Because the Spirit of God was within him, and you had given him the faith to know that in you there is forgiveness of sins. So, Father, to you alone we look, and even when we fall, we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and receive the benediction from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians.
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.